Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad that uh, you're here with us um, this morning. And before I start, I do have a quick announcement. I gave this announcement um, last week, but, you know, I was saying life is full of transitions, and one of our um, staff members is transitioning, and that's our administrator, Christina. And uh, she got into this program where she could get her master's of education and her teaching credential all in the same program. And I think it's like three years that is combined into one year. And it's a really difficult program to get into. And praise God, she got into it. And so we're really happy for her, you know, and look forward to what God has in store for her. I truly believe that this is her calling. If you've ever seen her work with kids, you know, this is you know, how God made her. And so she will be transitioning out, and uh, we will also be looking for new administrators. So if you know anybody that would be interested, um, please let the office know. Now, before I start, I have to admit to a mistake that I said last week. And the mistake I said was that Grace married up. Now, what I meant to say was I married up, okay? But I was a bit disappointed that many of you pointed out my mistake. (laughs) And you didn't even think that I was telling the truth, that I was the one who made the mistake when I said Grace married up. But yes, that's true. I was, you know, I married up. And um, as Ruth had noble character, praise God, I married a woman who had noble character, and I did not have to sleep on the couch last Sunday after making that remark. But anyway, if you're joining us for the first time, you know, we're going, we're finishing the book of Ruth. And I hope you've been encouraged by the journey that we were on. Because it's a short book, but there's so much in there. And last week, we left off where uh, Ruth proposed to Boaz, right? He proposed to Boaz. And remember, Boaz, we learned, was an older man. And Ruth was a generation younger. And so I would say it, it would be like me marrying somebody my son's age. And I know all of you guys said, ew, you know, and, and that's probably the, uh, what the reaction was back then, because she was a, Ruth was a generation younger than Boaz. But Boaz was single, Right? He was like, and he was probably thrilled that he had this young woman who proposed to him. And so he was all happy, but he realized that what? There was another person that had a stronger claim to Ruth than he did. And so the question is, what's going to happen? Because we're all rooting for Boaz, right? But it's like, oh, there's this twist. Right when he thinks that he's going to get something that he wants, ah, there's this other person that could possibly be, have a stronger claim to Ruth. But we saw that what? That Boaz was a man of integrity. Instead of trying to look through loopholes in the law, he wanted to do the right thing. And he told Ruth, I'm going to take care of this, but I'm going to do it the right way, even though it meant that he could possibly lose, uh, lose the chance of having Ruth as his wife. And that's where we left it, right? It's kind of like a movie series where it says, to be continued next week. So what's happening? What's going to happen? Well, now we're going to find out. 
what's going to happen. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to go through the entire chapter. It says, now, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. So Boaz was a guardian redeemer to Ruth, but there was somebody, another guardian redeemer, who had a stronger claim to Ruth than he did. And like um, I shared last week, a guardian redeemer, or the Hebrew word was goel, and it was a male relative who had the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in financial need. Okay, so that was what a guardian redeemer was supposed to do. So they, he calls this other guardian um, redeemer, and they met at the town gate. And there was nothing special about this place other than this is where business was normally conducted in that town. It says, then Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And so basically he got 10 elders. Now, basically what we believe is these 10 elders were the ones who made decisions on behalf of that town, right? Kind of like the city council, well, the town of elders. So he brought them together to witness this transaction. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Okay, now... If you look at other um, uh, versions, instead it says Naomi is selling, it says Naomi has to sell her land or the land that belonged to her husband and Elimelech. And the reason being is, remember, um, Naomi left with Elimelech because there was a, um, a famine in their region, and they went over to Moab. But while they were in Moab, Elimelech died, and Naomi's two, hus- two sons also died, leaving her without a husband and without sons. Now, we have to realize back in those days, a male was everything. The male provided protection. The male provided financial resources for the family. And without that, a woman would be destitute. A single woman, it wasn't like today, where a single woman could get a job. Back then, if you were single and you were a woman, that meant you were destitute. That meant most likely you would, have to, you would be a beggar for the rest of your life, or even worse, that you would be forced into, you know, prostitution. And that was what Naomi was facing. And so she had to sell, she was selling her land so she would have enough money to live on. And this is what a guardian redeemer was supposed to do. You had a relative that was in uh, desperate need, and then basically they were supposed to do is buy uh, Naomi's land, right? But not only were they supposed to buy uh, Naomi's land, it was a way to provide for a single woman because they didn't have Social Security back then. They didn't have welfare back then. So the kin- guardian redeemer was the one who was supposed to provide for them. And then um, he con- continues to say, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you would buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. If you will not, then tell me so I will know. For no one has a right to do it except for you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. 
can imagine Boaz. I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving you the option to um, buy this uh, land, right? And the, what did the uh, other guardian redeemer said, I will redeem it. Now, this guardian redeemer probably did that because if he purchased Naomi's land, he knew that she didn't have any offspring. You know, her husband died and her two sons died. So basically then, if he purchased the land, that money would go to Naomi. So she would be cared for. But as soon as Naomi passed on, what would happen? That land would be transferred back to him because she had no offspring. And so he thought, you know, this is a pretty good deal. Okay, I'll care for, I'll give money to care for Naomi, but then my land, my estate will increase after Naomi dies. However, Boaz had an ace up his sleeve. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's uh, widow, in order to maintain the name of of the dead with his property. At this, the king, uh, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I can't, I cannot do it. Once again, at first he thought that, you know, this would be a good business proposition for him. That he would purchase the land, the money would go to care for Naomi, but then when Naomi died, what? He would get the land. But now he realized that Naomi's um, sons had a daughter. And so when he purchased the land, the land would go back into Naomi's estate, and what? Ruth was there. So Ruth would get the land that Naomi's son was entitled to, but also uh, that Ruth might be able to uh, have a a claim on the inheritance of his family and his children. And so he didn't want to jeopardize his estate. So he said, no, okay, the land good, Ruth bad. You know, I don't, I, I, I can't take that chance. So he told Boaz, you redeem it. Do you see God working behind the scenes here? Boaz was a man of integrity. He did the right thing. And when he told the, uh, the guardian redeemer that, you know, you, you, here's this piece of land of Naomi. You're supposed to redeem it to care for her. He said, I'll do it. But because of Ruth, because of the jeopardy that Ruth posed to this person's estate, he couldn't do it. And this is what I hope we leave from me. And I'm going to really talk about this at the end of the sermon, that God is working behind the scenes. He's doing things that you and I can't see. Right? He's doing things that you and I can't see. So basically what he was saying is he gets the land. Now in verse 7. Now in early times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a method of legalizing the transactions in Israel. And so, you know how today we sign a document? Well, they didn't do that back then. It was just ancient practice to take off one sandal and give it to the person, and that signified that the transaction was complete and Final, 
Okay, now this is not to be connected with the Leverite marriage that we see in Deuteronomy 25. Remember the Leverite marriage? Leverite marriage was um, created to make sure that a woman would be able to have a son to carry on the estate. And so basically what the Leverite marriage was, was let's say my brother passed away and had no uh, children or had no sons then it would be my responsibility to marry or take my brother's wife and then have a child through her. And if she had a son, then the property would, uh, my brother's property would go to his family and not my family. Therefore, the line is carried on. And that's what a leveret marriage was all about. And we talked about that last week. But in Deuteronomy 25, let's say... Um, a brother did not want to um, fulfill his obligation to his brother's wife. And so, you know what? I don't want to marry her. You know, if they're lying, guys, well, that's just too bad. Then the widow was supposed to take off her sandal and in front of the elders, go to this person and spit in his face. Okay, pretty rude, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about that taking off your sandal and spit in somebody's face. This here, when he's talking about taking off your sandal, was just an ancient custom of sealing um, the deal. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders of all people, today you are witnesses that I have brought, bought Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witness. So once again, he fulfilled his job um, as the Leverite uh, marriage. Then all the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witness. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Right? So this deal was completed and everybody was happy for them. And the witnesses said, May your home be like Rachel and Leah, who built the family of Israel. And so when you're looking at this, you're going, like, Rachel and Leah, right? Because if, if you know their background, and it's in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis 29, but Rachel and Leah had a sibling rivalry that was contentious, right? And it was characterized by them taking matters into their own hands rather than trust God. Because we know Abraham was like the father of Israel. Then he had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had twins, um, Jacob and Esau. And remember, Jacob was the one who checked Esau out of his birthright. So this is the Jacob that we're talking with. And so we see that Jacob, when he was looking for a wife, he fell in love with Rachel, who was beautiful and had a great body. Now, before you think I'm mess making that up, Read Genesis 29. That's exactly what Genesis 29 says. So I'm not making that up, right? So he saw this beautiful woman in every aspect, and he fell in love with her. 
But the father said it's not proper for the younger sister to get married before the older sister. So he tricked Jacob into marrying Leah. Okay, now the problem with this is the Bible says that Rachel was beautiful in appearance and form. Okay, how does he des- the Bible describe Leah? The Bible describes Leah as one with poor eyesight. Uh, I'm not making that up. I'm not, it's there, it's there. Could you imagine that if you were a sibling? You have this beautiful, gorgeous sister, and then you're described as one who can't see. But that, that's in the Bible, right? So obviously Jacob loved, you know, Rachel, right? But he had to marry Leah because he was tricked into marrying the woman who had poor eyesight, right? But through um, Leah, even though he loved, he finally married Rachel, so he, had, um, Ra- he married Rachel and Leah, and Leah was able to conceive four sons. But then what? She became barren. But then Rachel was so upset, right, that she couldn't bear any children. She got angry, you know, at Jacob. Bear me sons. And he's going, I'm trying. What do you want me to do? Right? And and, and she got so mad that she what? She said, okay, you take my maidservant. And you have children with her. And so through the maidservant that she had two sons. Okay, uh, he was able to consider, conceive two sons. Now, Leah, once again, was this back and forth. Oh, man, the beauty queen was finally able to get two sons. And I, you know, Jacob um, is not, it's not good enough that I have four sons, right? Beauty queen only has two, so I need to have sons. So then Leah gives her maidservant to Jacob and said, Go, you know, have, so her maidservant gives him two sons. Now it's like, okay, it's, you know, I got six, right? You only got two. You know, then we see that uh, Leah um, is able to conceive and have two more sons. And then finally, Rachel is able to have two sons. But this is how the nation of Israel started. (laughs) Pretty messy, Right? And even though giving a handmaid was, you know, um, culturally acceptable in that time, I personally believe that that was not acceptable in God's sight. Because God, when God created man and woman, he said, uh, a man shall leave his, what, father and mother and cleave to his wife. So in, at, it was always God intent, God's intention for a man just to have one wife. It's only through his graciousness and mercy that he allowed this to happen. Even though this was culturally, a culturally acceptable thing during that time, I do not believe that this, is, this was God's original intention. So we see that this is how Rachel and Leah start. But then he goes, <laughs> they say another one, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. Okay, oh my goodness, another messy family. Because what? Judah had a son. Uh, Well, actually, he had three sons, but the oldest son was Ur, and he married a woman named Tamar, right? However, Ur died, and Onan, who was the second of Judah's son, was supposed to take Tamar as his wife, white Leverite marriage, to carry on... Ur's um, family line, but he didn't want to do that, 
right? He didn't want to do that, so he died. So the third son, Shelah, was next in line. However, he was too young to marry um, Tamar. So Judah said, wait till Shelah is old enough, and when he's old enough, you could marry him. However, when Shelah was old enough, Judah reneged on his offer and didn't allow Tamar to marry him, right? So once again, she was single. She was supposed to marry Sheila. She was promised Sheila, but then Judah reneged. So what does she do? She um, She disguised herself as a prostitute, and she has a physical relationship with her father-in-law. And then she what? Gets twins from her father-in-law. You know, and Perez was one of them. And this is, hey, may you be like um, Tamar and Perez. And you're like, what? You know, what kind of family line? line are you talking about here now i get it now the purpose of the, they were doing this they were talking about the a blessing of fertility and having sons to carry on the name and that was the whole purpose of them saying hey be like uh, rachel and leah right who started the nation of israel be like um Tamar and have a son named Perez and carry on the family line. And that was the meaning of this passage. However, one thing that I think we can glean is God can redeem messy situations. God can redeem messy family relations. You know, as I talk to people, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and they said, you know, my family's all messed up. You know, I'm not talking to my sibling. I'm not talking to my parents. I haven't talked to my parents in ages, right? I I can't stand my siblings. They don't like us. You know, sometimes when the parents pass on, there's huge battles over their estate, and that separates families. Families could get messy. You and I know that. Well, we just talked about two families that were pretty messed up. You know, pretty dysfunctional. But did you know that Judah, Perez, and Tamar are listed in the lineage of Jesus? Look at Matthew 1. Their names are there. That God used this dysfunctional family situation. And he made something good come out of it. So I hope for you here sitting today or watching at home, if you have a dysfunctional family, the Bible is full of dysfunctional families. I just mentioned two of them right now. One of them started the nation of Israel, and the other was in the lineage of the Messiah. So don't think that God can't redeem your family. The book of Ruth is all about God's redemption. It's all about God's redemption. God can redeem messy family functions. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who on this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous 
throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, (coughs) who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Wow. In those days, sons were everything. Women were not valued at all in that culture. But because of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, because of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, what are the women saying? You are not only better than a son, you are better than seven sons. This is why last week I was saying, women, character is important. Character is important. Having a noble character like Ruth is important. I mean, that's for all of us here. But the townspeople knew that, and they saw that in Ruth. And not only did they saw that, they affirmed that in Ruth. So are we people that other people, when they look at the way we live our life, would they affirm us in the same way they affirmed Ruth? You know, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but I hope they do. It says, you know, remember chapter 1, Naomi's family went to Moab to escape a famine that ravaged their area. However, while they were at Moab, what? Naomi's husband died, and her two sons died, leaving her in a desperate and hopeless situation, right? And then Naomi returned um, to without a husband and sons. And what did the women say? Is this Naomi? Naomi, is this you? Because when they looked at her, they probably could see the difference. That the weight of what she had to go through took a toll on her physical appearance. But that, hey, this, you are not the woman that left us. What happened to you, right? And so what did Naomi say? Naomi responded by saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. She left happy. She returned as a bitter woman. She said, God has taken everything away from me and left me empty. She blamed God for the loss of her husband and the son. She said, God has afflicted her. God has brought this misfortune on me. We see in chapter 1, Naomi was very bitter and angry towards God. But that was what? As I said, that was chapter 1. She had no idea chapter 4 was coming. She had no idea that God was working behind the scenes to care for her through her faithful daughter-in-law Ruth and her guardian redeemer Boaz. And there's a lesson to be learned here. Because there are some times in our lives where we get so desperate, we get so hopeless, our families are so messed up that we can't see anything past our bitterness. And that's all we see. We're bitter at God. We're bitter at everybody else. Like I said, I could just imagine the seven to ten day journey from Moab back to Bethlehem with Ruth and Naomi. Oh, man. Naomi's probably just, you know, all the way back. Because she was so mad at God. And Ruth is just, oh, my goodness. I'm like, this is my mother-in-law. You know? I could just imagine that. But Ruth was still faithful. 
But at that time, Naomi had no idea God was looking behind the scenes. As it's true for Naomi, it's true for us. I don't care what you're going through right now. It doesn't change the fact that you may not be able to see past your anger. You may not be able to see past your frustration. However, God is working behind the scenes for your good. And said, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he, Obed, and he was the father of Jesse and the father of um, David. When Naomi came back, they said, who is this woman? What happened to you to make you so bitter? What happened to you to make you so angry. Now, I guess when Naomi told her, they probably understood it. But these same women now in chapter 4, what? Bless her and saying, you are so blessed. Why? Because Naomi became the great, great, great grandmother of Israel's greatest king. Chapter 1, all she could see was bitterness and anger. Chapter 4, she would, even though she probably didn't know it, she became the great, great, great grandmother of King David, the greatest king that Israel has ever known. Is God working behind the scenes? Of course. And we get to read about it today, that God blessed her even though she couldn't see that. And Ruth was in the same situation as Naomi. Remember when they were going back to Bethlehem? What did Naomi say? Orpah and Ruth, go back to Moab. You know, Moab, may God bless you with sons so you could have a happy life. Don't come with me. There's no hope for me. God has cursed me. You know, God has taken everything away from me. I've lost favor with God. Don't hang around me. Go back home. You'll have a better life. But Ruth, Ruth was loyal. Ruth was faithful, right? She stood by Naomi even though Naomi had no future because in Ruth's mind, she loved Naomi. And she said, you know what? She's going to need somebody to care for her, and I'll do whatever I can to care for her. And because of her faithfulness, she became in the lineage of Jesus Christ. If you take a look at Matthew, Ruth's name, Ruth's name is in our Messiah's lineage. God rewarded, you know, her faithfulness. So real quickly, what can we learn from the lessons from the book of Ruth? Is God's, the first one is God sovereignly works behind the scenes to accomplish his righteous purposes. In Job 42, 2, Job says, I know you, meaning God, can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. What he's saying is God is sovereign. Whatever God wants to do, God's going to do, and no one could stop him. And this should be good news for us, that when God is working behind the scenes for us, there's no one that could stop him. And in Naomi's case, even Naomi couldn't stop God 
from working. Even Naomi's bitterness, even though Naomi's anger towards God, that could not stop God from working behind the scenes to eventually bless her in chapter 4. You know, I hope that gives you hope. That gives me hope. That God, you know, yeah, we could be mad at God. We could get bitter against God. But that doesn't change God's character. That doesn't change his sovereignty. God's still going to do what he's going to do, right? And, but he does this for his righteous purposes. We see that in Rachel and Leah, in Jacob's family. Dysfunctional. Then we see Judah and Tamar. You go, oh my goodness. But God used that for what? The lineage of David. See, God doesn't blot out um, family um, dysfunction. He didn't say, oh, he could say, oh, let's leave them out of the family lineage. He says, oh my gosh, Jacob, what were you thinking? Okay, well, we'll, we'll just put that you had 12 sons and let's leave it at that. You know, or uh, Judah was, okay, you had twins. He didn't have to record all of this stuff, but he did to show us what? God's redemption and his mercy. And if he could use people like that, he's, he's I mean, that, they're part of his plan. They're part of his plan. And nothing that Rachel, Leah, Tamar, and Judah could do could mess that up. That's the same with us. Praise God. Isn't that great? Right? That God is working behind the scenes. But this means that we could trust him. This means that we could trust him. You might be in Ruth chapter 1 right now, and you may not even see a Ruth chapter 4 coming. But God is sovereign. Work behind the scenes. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, I know most of you know this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Right? You might be living in Ruth chapter 1 right now, and you just might be bitter, scared, or miserable that he doesn't care about you. He said, God has left me empty. God has afflicted me. I don't know why he's allowing this to happen, right? But when you're doing that, you are leaning on your own understanding. Naomi was leaning on her own understanding. She didn't believe God could redeem her situation. All she knew was what she understood about her situation. She was leaning on her own understanding, right? But we are able to trust God because he's working behind the scenes. Boaz is a representation of Jesus Christ who is our perfect redeemer. You know, in Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You know, we had a need. And what was that a need? We all had a debt that we couldn't pay. And that was what? our sin nature. We needed a redeemer, who is Jesus, to pay for our debt, which he gave, he paid for with his life, which was the purpose of a guardian redeemer. That's why Boaz redeemed Naomi's uh, land, because she was in desperate need. She needed financial resources. So he was purchasing, redeeming her land in order to care for her. Well, we had a debt. 
We had a debt that we couldn't pay. And what did Jesus Christ do? He went to the cross and he purchased our lives. He redeemed it. He bought our lives back through his death. He redeemed us. Now, Boaz redeemed only temporary things. Boaz only redeemed land. Right? That's temporary. But Jesus, what? He redeemed our life for all eternity. It said God redeems all events throughout the lifetime of your children. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Man, I tell you, if Naomi in chapter 4 knew this verse, she would be, we would be seeing that. We'd be reading about it right now because at chapter 4, she believed in that. I know she would have believed in this verse, even though it came a long time after, right? Because God is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You know, this verse was not enacted just because Paul wrote it. This is God's character. And we see this throughout history that God was living out Romans 8.28, even though it was written much later than Paul. But I want us to know that God redeems all events throughout the lifetime of his children. Because when we take a look at the book of Ruth, only four chapters, this is only one saga in Naomi's life. And we might look at it this way. But some of you are in situations where you know that life is going to be difficult for you for the rest of your life. And you know that. But you know what? This verse applies to you. God working behind the scenes in Naomi's life, even though it seemed like this was one saga in her life, God works, what? Through their entire lives. And that's the same as you and me. You may say, oh, gosh, you know, Naomi, yeah, that was great for God, but that was only four chapters. You know, how about my life? There's a lot of chapters I still need to live. What about then? God redeems all the events throughout the lifetime. So I could guarantee you, and the Bible promises, that God redeems and will redeem every event throughout your life. No matter what struggles you go through, no matter how dysfunctional your life gets, no matter how many mistakes you make in your life, no matter how difficult life gets, because I have no idea what my future holds for me, but this principle is true. And I hope that's what you, you leave from the book of Ruth. That yes, there's a chapter one, and that's home. Oh, our heart goes out to Naomi. But in chapters 2, 3, and 4, we see God working in the background. We see God saying, oh, I'm setting you up for blessing. You just don't know it. And all God asks us to do is what? Trust him. Because God is trustworthy. So what's our weekly challenge this week? I want us to read the entire book of Ruth this week. Only four chapters. You should be able to do it, right? Remind yourself when you get up and when you go to bed that God is sovereign and is working behind the scenes for your good. I want you to remind yourself that twice a day, that God is working in the background 
what? And he has sovereign that nothing and no one, not even you, has the ability to change his plans for you, which are good. Which are good. You cannot even mess up his plan. Trust God when you feel your current situation is hopeless. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be like Naomi. Trust God. Trust God. Finally, this week, I want you to, if, you, if possible, be a Ruth who is loyal. Do you have a friend right now who needs a loyal friend? Somebody to stick by them, right? Be their Ruth. Be their Ruth. Or maybe a Boaz. Do you know somebody right now who needs to be provided for, who needs to be cared for? Will be a Boaz to somebody this week. You know, Nathan's probably going to say something, or may or may not, but we're closing with the song Waymaker, right? Which is a beautiful song. You might be in chapter, Ruth chapter 1 right now, but God is behind the scenes making a way for you. And so when you sing this song, please pay attention to the words. And I hope this song really speaks to you because God is making a way for you even though you can't see it. We just have to trust him. Let's pray. Worship team. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That from the beginning of time, <laughs> we saw Romans 8.28, that you were always working behind the scenes. You know, Father, especially for us who love you, for the promises that you made to the nation of Israel, you are faithful. You are faithful to your children. You are always faithful to your children. There might be some of you right now who are experienced Ruth chapter 4, 1 rather, where your situation may seem hopeless or desperate. You have no idea that God is working behind the scenes for you good and you just can't see it. But at this moment, would you pray that God would give you the ability to trust in him, to have the eyes of faith and not the eyes of sight, to ask God to give you the ability to trust in him that he's working behind the scenes for the good of his children. Father, I want to intercede for everyone here who is going through a difficult time. It could be dealing with family issues. It could be dealing with relational issues. It could be dealing with circumstances beyond their control, health issues, things that they didn't ask for, things, Father, that life just happened. And it's hard. And they feel like Naomi. Father, I thank you, Lord, 
that you understand our feelings. You understand that you are bigger than our bitterness, that you are bigger than our anger, Father. Yet you still remain faithful to your children. So, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you don't change. And that Romans 8.28 applies to us. It applied to your children in the Old Testament. That you are faithful to your promises. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.